I, uh, I want to take a moment and welcome. We've got uh, a few people in um, different areas. Online, we've got Kathy Mayuski, Ruth Dan Allard, Don Delaire, Don Levesque, um, Levesque, I think it's actually pronounced, Eric Pfaff, Sarah Merchant, Helen Pendleton, Kelly Boyd, Cheryl Ramsey, and I'm sure a ton of others. Those are just some that, uh, that have popped out. And let me see. Over in our student center, we've got the, the Skidmore, the Brittany Skidmore and her two girls, Lisa Markle, Aaron Dussatel and his two kids, uh, Judith Moore, Holly Norberg, and 25 uh, other people that, uh, that are in there as well. I always like uh, when, when I mention people's names, people say like in the other rooms, all of a sudden they sit up and they, they're like, oh, somebody said my name. I should probably not fall asleep. Um, and uh, so anyway... Just, just glad that, uh, that God is just kind of bringing in people from all over the place. And um, we're in a series going through the book of Second Peter now. We went through First Peter and then um, just felt like the Lord was like, yeah, I, I want you to continue in this. And so we were going through Second Peter and today we find ourselves in chapter 2. And if you have read ahead or you've got your Bible, I would love it if you'd, if you'd open up your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to kind of be anchored in that today, and it's a bit of a doozy. Um, I want to remind you that this, this book of Second Peter, this letter, it's a very short letter. Uh, Peter is writing it, many historians believe, in his 70s. And uh, last week we said that in, in chapter 1, he pretty much said that his time on earth was short, whether that was something that, you know, he just knew, that he knew that he knew, that uh, he didn't have much time. But, but there's kind of like this sense as we read through this letter that he's almost like, hey guys, um, I don't have a lot of time. And so what I'm about to tell you is of utmost importance, so, so, so listen up. And he spends all of chapter one talking about, uh, rem- don't forget to remember. He's like, re- I want to remind you of something. I want you to be awakened to something. I want you to be awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to your futures in him. And uh, he does a great job um, of doing that. We talked about that last week. And, and here's the reality. We like that message. As American Christians, we really like that message. If I want you, honestly, I've tested this before. If I want you to share things on Facebook and Instagram, that message is the message that shares the best. Uh, the message that we're going to preach today, uh, not so much, not so much. I hope, maybe, look, maybe we'll change the tide. But um, th- this, this word that, uh, that, that Peter's going to be talking about kind of takes a little bit of a turn because he spends all of chapter one talking about how we're reminded of, you know, how God sees us and, and we like that and how, how our destinies are set and our, our citizenship is in heaven. And don't forget that, you know, God mines the gold out of our dirt and we're not the epitome of our, of our worst day, but that we are, um, God, God sees our potential and he pulls that out of us. And we like hearing about how God is a good God and how his mercies are new every morning. And we, learn, we like hearing about second chances and grace and forgiveness and mercy and all of those things. And Peter agrees with all of those things. If you don't believe me, you can go and read chapter one and even go read all of First uh, Peter. And he, I mean, he's talking about those things and he wants us to to remember all of those things. And then, and then he gets to chapter two and it's like he takes a 90 degree turn and he's like going, he, go, like he goes off. He goes off. He's talking about false teachers and false prophets, preaching a false gospel, leading to false beliefs. And he talks about heresies. I mean, all of chapter two, heresies, lies, uh, false teachers, destruction, corruption, seduction, all of these things that it's all of a sudden like he's He's just changed topics and uh, spends the majority of chapter two sounding the alarm. The alarm of, you better watch out, there are liars and false teachers, erware. 
they're everywhere. And, uh, and uh, just be aware of that. And Peter has some serious things to, to communicate. And it's probably going to hurt a little bit. I hope it does. Um, but what, what Peter's writing, and, and this is what I, I really want to nail down today, is that this message is a message that the American church desperately needs to hear. It's not a popular message. It's not one that gets shared a lot on social media, but it's a message that we desperately need to um, have as a, as a balancing point in our faith. And um, so I pray that, that you hear it with the love and the joy and the peace that, that Peter writes it in as I give it to you. Um, because God not only wants to remind us of our identity um, in us, but he also wants to warn us of um, what can be deceptive to us. And, uh, uh, you know, he's not just always concerned about speaking identity and destiny into you, although he is, and he loves doing that, speaking identity and destiny into you. But he's also concerned that you, and he wants to warn you that you could fall into a counterfeit, a counterfeit gospel, start believing things that isn't really him. And so Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than a creator. So it's this whole idea today, and, and this is what he's going to be talking about, is that God creates and Satan counterfeits. God creates and Satan counterfeits. And if you're taking notes today or you're on NLC.today, you can, you can see these things. That, um, God creates, Satan counterfeits. So how do you know if you are believing a false teaching? How do you know if, if you are believing a counterfeit gospel? How do you know that uh, you're being deceived? It's very difficult to know. Like, do you just kind of go on like a feeling? I mean, for some of us, and, and many times, I, I'll be listening to a message or I'll be around somebody and I'm like, man, there's something off here. Like, I, you're saying the right words and you're quoting the right scriptures, kind of, but there's like a twist there and it just seems like something's off. And, and, and many times it's the Holy Spirit in us that starts to give us a red flag that something's off and that um, this isn't necessarily the gospel or the God that I know to be true and, uh, and that happens to us. But the reality is, is that, that many times God will speak to us, and because we don't like it, we don't listen to it. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, sometimes my flesh or that kind of red flag on the inside of me isn't always a great uh, tell for, um, for if this thing is wrong. Like if, if somebody told me, like, um, Gary, I'm gonna, I, I'm, God told me I'm supposed to give you $5,000. Um, my first reaction would be, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't, I, I refuse that word because that's obviously can be from God because I don't like it. That means less for me and something that I don't necessarily want to walk in. And so there's this, there's this reality that I, I think that, that false belief and heresy and deception is much sneakier than we give it credit for, is what and my point is this. And this is what, what Peter's going to be like hunkering down in. And so what do we do? How do we know if we are being uh, taught a, a false gospel, a, a heresy, a, a false religion? What, what do we do about that? So, well, many times, and even in my youth when I first got saved, I got like, I think it's called Haley's Book of Cults, and, and I, uh, I literally would study all of the cults and all of the false religions so that I would know what they're called and know what they believe, and so I would really have a good handle on, okay, well, this is what the Mormons, and this is this, and the Jehovah's, and the, all these things, and I would kind of know, okay, these are what the different um, kind of false religions believe so that I would have, a, a, I would have an understanding and sometimes, you know, for maybe for some of you, you subscribe to that blogger on YouTube that tells you that pretty much everybody other than him is a heretic. 
You know what I'm talking about? You guys know these people that are just like, literally, I should just pay attention to only what this guy says because literally everybody else on planet Earth that would even mention the name Jesus is a heretic except for him. And so we kind of err on these two sides. We're kind of like, I, I think I just need to figure out what, what exactly um, the counterfeit gospel looks like. And um, I was thinking about counterfeiting, and so I started looking up. I was kind of went down this little rabbit trail this, this week, and I was trying to find out how they train federal agents to spot counterfeits. Not like you're, you know, the lady at the, at, the, at the counter that kind of does a little and then looks at it and stuff, but like a real person who like is trained to spot counterfeits. And what I found out is kind of interesting is that they don't, um, they don't actually study and train you to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeit money. So they don't like, here, here's some counterfeits, here's some counterfeits, study those so that you'll know exactly what counterfeit money looks like. What they do is they train you to study and to know genuine bills. So you got to know the real thing, get under the feel of it, get under the, the smell of it, the weight of it, the, the, the color of it, the, the, the tiny details of it, the clarity of it. you got to know about the things that you can only see held up in the light. you got to know everything about that bill so that you know the genuine article, so that you can spot the real thing so that when the counterfeit comes across your desk, you, you, know, you know right away. Oh, this isn't the real thing because I know the real thing. And I think that in many times, as Christians, we, 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 get, we get stuck in this thing where it's like, well, I just need to know about how all of these deceptive philosophies and, and religions and cults and th- how they operate and what they believe so that I know that, that, that they're false. When I think what God and what Peter is saying is like, you need to know that you know that you know. You know, need to know the Word of God. You need to know who, what it is that the true gospel is so that when a counterfeit comes across your desk or you hear something or somebody twists the scripture and you're like, no, that's not right. That, that's, 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 that's off. That's not the word of God. He says, and, and Peter starts calling it out in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. This is where he just kind of, he just takes a 90 degree turn. He says, but, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So I just want to take like these, these first three verses and we'll kind of like, I'm not going to read through all of, all of uh of chapter 2, I'd highly advise you to take a look at it because, I mean, Peter just uses all these um, like Old Testament scriptures to kind of bring about his point. But what is, he, what is he trying to tell us about false teachers? Three things. One, the first one is this, that false teachers are always among us. False teachers are always among us. He says this. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. The Bible says that the, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So here's, here's what I know. If somebody comes to steal something from me, I know that I have something valuable to steal. Let me, let me put it another way. You don't put locks on junk, right? If you've got a safe at your house, you've got, you got, you got a gun safe, you got any kind of safe, you put a lock on something, you put it on something that's worth putting it on. Nobody takes a bunch of junk that nobody would want anybody anyway and just like, oh, we better lock this sucker up, make sure nobody takes it, right? I had, I had a 1993 Teal Ford Ranger up until about four years ago. 
and uh, it was held together with Bondo, just to give you a, kind of an idea of what it looked like. And uh, it was a one-wheel drive vehicle. And I say one wheel because the other one would stick. And so you only had two wheels that would actually propel you until the other one would finally break loose and go. So I'm just giving you an understanding of this truck. We drove it for, for 20 years of my marriage. Um, after 23 years, it finally gave up the spirit. But, but, but before that, I just want you to understand something. I never locked it. I never, like, parked it and thought, oh, whoa, whoa hold on a second. I better, better lock this sucker. Make sure nobody, nobody steals this thing. Literally, I could put the key in the ignition, leave it in there 24-7, and I never sweat it. I was never thinking, man, somebody's going to steal my 1993 Teal Ford Ranger. Held together with Bondo and barely starts. One-wheel drive. No, nobody's going to steal that. So my point is this. When the Bible says that, that, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it should tell you that you have something worth stealing. That what you have in Christ is valuable. Because nobody comes to steal something that isn't worth stealing. Nobody comes to steal something that is worthless. And, and what Peter is just describing to us is that you better understand that what you have in Christ is priceless. And Satan is going to, why do you think that he works so hard to try to steal your joy, to get you to lose heart, to try to get you to give up, to believe the worst about a situation, to throw on the towel, to say, I'm done with this thing? He's like, you have got something worth stealing. And if you have something worth stealing, you better be ready to defend it. That's why some of you maybe even have guns in your home or you have a concealed carry permit or you're ready and with a baseball bat. I don't know, whatever you do, right? But we're ready to defend that which is most valuable to us. And I think, quite honestly, one of the biggest heresies of today is that there is no heresy. It's just a difference of opinion. There's no real heresy. Who says that word anyway? It's kind of an antiquated word. I mean... There's no real heresy today. It's just you see things differently than I do, and then that's okay. It's this doctrine that we call relativism, where um, it's the, this idea that, that truth is never absolute. Now, there's, there's, just, there's not really black and white. I mean, there's a whole bunch of gray, 50 shades. <laughs> and uh, you know what? You know, truth is really subject to our culture and to context and to opinion, and most importantly, me. And uh, I get to kind of dictate whether I'm the, I'm the gatekeeper of that truth. And it gives rise to ideologies that, that you know and you hear all the time, things like this. You do you. My wife loves that one. <laughs> Not. She says, you know, you, you say, oh, you do, I'll do, I'll do me, you do you. In other words, you, you, you know, you're, that's fine. That's your truth. You hear that? Or that's your bias. You, you do you. And we fall into this place where where truth isn't absolute and it is continually subject to me. It's everywhere. Heresy is everywhere. The second, the second thing is that false teachers will distort the truth. False teachers will distort the truth. Um, many historians believe that, that Peter, in this letter, is actually, when he's flipping out and he's just going all over the place in, in chapter 2, that he's addressing these false teachers that were called Gnostics, with a silent G, and um, they were teaching that Jesus was not going to be coming back, that there was no second coming, which means no judgment. That's a good thing, right? So pretty much you just believe in Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died, that he's buried, and that he rose again, all that kind of, okay, fine. But there's, he's not coming back to judge the living and the dead. Then, and, and you can just kind of do whatever you want. You just live how you feel. You have freedom in Christ to do whatever the heck you, you, you feel like you want to do because there is no 
judgment. And this is what Peter is, is coming after. And he says this in verse 1. You can, you can kind of get to the heart of it. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. This word heresy is, is the word where we get heretic. And um, it's kind of a word that we don't use much anymore, like especially outside of the church. It's kind of a churchy word. And um, we don't, you know, people don't normally, you know, mention or talk about heresy or heretics outside of, of Christianity, really. And even within Christianity, it's been a very long time since I heard it mentioned. Um, heresy, that, I'll give you a definition, because I, I think it's important for us to even understand what, what it is that we're even talking about. Will, William Barclay, who is a, um, a writer and a theologian scholar, he, he defines heretic as this. A person who believes what he wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. I'll say it again. A person who believes what he wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. That's his definition of heretic, which makes me feel very uncomfortable especially in a day and age where we kind of get to try and pick and choose what we believe. Um, and I think it's important to note that nobody ever thinks that they are a heretic. Like, if you, you, you know, somebody that's like leading a cult doesn't really think that they're leading a cult. Like, are you a pastor? No, 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 I'm a heretic. You, you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, no, I preach a false gospel. Yeah, I'm just leading people astray. I mean, there's the way, and I try to get them to go a different way. Like, no, nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks like, oh, yes, yep, I'm a heretic. That's my full-time job. I'm a, I'm a heretic. No. And that, that's the problem. That's kind of the problem that Peter's addressing. And I think it's a problem within our own hearts that nobody ever actually thinks that they're a heretic. They think a heretic is reserved for people that are like heretics. There aren't anyone in here. Those are people that you see, like the David Koresh's of the world, you know, the, or they get people to drink Kool-Aid. Like, those are the people that are heretics, but, 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 but me, but, but you, but us, but like, how would we ever fall into that? I mean, I would kind of know it, because I'm not drinking Kool-Aid anytime soon. And, and this, is, this is the hard thing, is that we reserve it for people that aren't us. And the question is this, that like, I think that there's, there's a reality that we can attend church and yet believe and act like the Word of God has no bearing on our personal, financial, or sexual life. And see absolutely nothing wrong with it. And not even think that we may be a heretic. Let me remind you, the, the definition is a person who believes what he wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. That is heavy. I'll keep moving on. All right. <laughs> Notice that Peter says this. He says they will secretly, secretly, that's that word, secretly introduce destructive heresies. I think it's important to realize that it doesn't happen overtly. You're not going to have somebody knock on your door and be like, hi-ho, I'm a heretic. I was wondering, do you have five minutes so I can deceive you? Like, is that, I was just wondering, like, could we talk about that? I've got my, my tie on and my suit, and I was just wondering, we could just talk, and I've got some pamphlets for you to deceive you. Like, that's not, that's really not how it happens. It happens very secretly, seductively, and under the, the radar, 
Um, and it kind of reminds me, it goes all the way back to the first heresy that was introduced by the serpent in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And as I was studying this, I was like, okay, the Lord kind of brought me back to this. And I want you to notice something that was really interesting to me. The progression of how the heresy in Genesis chapter 3 was secretly introduced. It happened seductively. It happened secretly. So the first thing that happens, you know, the serpent comes in and, you know, and starts talking to Eve. And the first thing it does, the first thing Satan does is to question the word of God. Did God really say? Just, I mean, did, did he really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? So he questioned the word of God. The second thing he does is this. He denies the word of God. Well, you'll certainly not die. I mean, he might have said that. He didn't really mean that. You're certainly not going to die. And then the last thing he does is that he substitutes the word of God. And he literally says, God just knows that you're going to be like him if you do it. Question the word of God, deny the word of God, and then substitute the word of God. And it sounded good, and it sounded more appealing. And so they ate it. And I think that we've been continually eating it all the way since. Question the word of God, deny the word of God, and then substitute it for something that sounds a whole lot better than the word of God. And, and, and I think that, that that's the difficulty that we, that we run into is that most of the time we don't see false teaching until it's believed. We, we don't even know that we're kind of like falling into a false teaching or listening to a false gospel until we actually have internalized it and believe it. And that's when it becomes dangerous. And, and it's dangerous because this, because a false teaching that is believed becomes a false idol that we defend. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to write this down. A false teaching that is believed becomes a false idol that we defend. And we vehemently defend our idols. And so what we end up finding is that before we even realize that it's a false teaching, we're defending that idol before uh, it's not necessarily something that, that is of God, and, but we, it's just a part of us. And so we vehemently defend our idols and we come to its injustice. And we don't necessarily know why we're fighting it, but we're vehemently fighting this thing. And it begins with questioning God's word and denying God's word and then substituting it for something that sounds a whole lot better than God's word to us. And, um, and when we choose to, to move away from God's word, when we back away from God's word, we're always backing into something else. Like, and, and I think that's, that's probably the, 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 the clearest vision for us is that when we choose to take the way of God, the scripture, the word of God, and we back away from it because I, I, either we're, we're at some level questioning it, denying it, or wanting to substitute it, you don't get to back away from the word of God without backing into something else, which is a heresy. <laughs> I know this isn't popular, okay? So I, like, I, I understand this sounds so narrow-minded. You're like, my goodness. Does he really think this? Yeah. It's true. Uh, whether we like it or not, I don't like it. I, there are many things that I think God should reconsider and take, take into consideration some 21st century thought like, and, and, and really hear me out here because I got some, some ideas that I think are probably even better than him that uh, he doesn't seem to care much about. And yet I, I think that if he would just hear me out, then, then we could probably come to a better resolution but when we back away from the Word of God, we're always backing into something else, and the Bible calls it heresy. Every time. 
I'll continue. Verse 2. <laughs> You're going to love this. He says that they're going to follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth, catch the, that, that term, the way of truth, into disrepute. And this is what we were just talking about, that there is God's way and then there's every other way. That there's, there's the, if God's way is the way of truth, and that would mean that any other way, even your way, even if it sounds like a better way, if it's not God's way, then it's false. And that's kind of, that's kind of how narrow-minded God is about how he thinks about his way. And I know it's not popular, and I know it sounds narrow-minded, and, um, but either way, this is what it comes down to for us. It really comes down to trusting God, because either God's way is for my best, or I think I know better. I think if, I, I, I know he thinks he knows, but I think I've got my opinion of, of I, I know that he's a creator, and thank you, God, for the lung in my, in, in my, in, for the breath in my lungs. I thank you for, 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 for my life, and I thank you that, you know, you, you keep the world spinning and all that kind of stuff, and you, you do great in that, but you keep to that. But, but I've, got, I've got a better way, I think, than your way. And um, the hard part is that we fall into the lie that we think we know better than God. And that, that is heresy, right? I mean, that's the, that, the, literally the, kind of the definition of it. So, so the question is this, how do you become a heretic? Is there like a class? Do heretics take classes? You're just like, hey, you're just heresy 101. You're going to get a diploma. It's going to be like heretic, you know, in your name. It's going to be awesome, right? And you're going to get a job, pay pretty good dividends on, you know, for heresy, and you can become a heretic. There's, no, there's not actually like a, a way that you learn how to become a heretic. So, so I was trying to come up with some ways to be able to, to bring out some understanding of how this happens in our life, not just as, as teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but as followers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of different ways to become a heretic, so please don't think I have a corner market on it. But here's, here's one way. Okay, here's one way that you can become a heretic. Um, one of the ways is that um, we have these two things um, side by side in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One, one is we have close-handed issues, and then we have open-handed issues. Close-handed issues are things like the absolutes. These are the things that, um, that, that we have to agree upon if we consider ourselves Christians. And then there's open-handed issues. Open-handed issues are interpretations. These are preferences. These are things that we can disagree upon because in any family, we disagree, right? So there's closed-handed issues and there's open-handed issues. So let me, let me kind of define them a little bit better for you. So there are closed-handed issues. Closed-handed issues would be things like there's one God and three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the actual Word of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is fully man and fully God, that He lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, that rose from the dead so that you could have more and better life. We, you know, we believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, that Jesus, if He is your Lord and Savior, you go to heaven. If not, you go to hell. Like, these are close-handed, close-handed issues. And even some of those, maybe you're like, hmm, really? And then there's, then there's open-handed issues. Open-handed issues would look a little bit, just to kind of have fun, is um, public school, private school, or homeschool. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of up to your family, right? What, whatever's best for your kids and what you think as a, as, as a parent. There's, there's not, this is an open-handed issue. Uh, open, another open-handed issue would be how old is the earth? I don't know. It's wicked old, though, I think. But I don't necessarily know how, I'm not that old, so I, I wasn't around when it was formed, so I don't necessarily know. And so, you know, we all have different ideas of how old that could be, but all I know is it's older than me. Um, Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian? Uh, 
I don't, I mean, and I know, I know what I am, but, but I think that you could probably be one of those other two and, and still call yourself Christian. Post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, trib-trib, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I pray to God that he takes me before any tribulation, but it doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. So, um, so that's my hope, but, but I don't think that it's necessarily something that we divide the church over. And so there's these, there's these close-handed issues, and then there's open-handed issues. Now, now let me, let me keep, my, keep, your hand, keep your eyes on my hands. So a, a legalist, a religious person, takes something that is open-handed and moves it to the closed hand. That's what a legalist does. A legalist will take something that is a preference or an interpretation and puts it into the closed-handed issues and said, we, we have to agree upon this. In fact, if you don't agree upon this, then you're not a Christian. You have to do this because this, this is a closed-handed issue. And so that's how you get into legalism is you take things that are preferences and interpretations and things that, that aren't meant to divide us and, and then you put it into a closed-handed issue and you say, uh, we're, we're, we can't even worship together. We can't even be a part of the same thing by, because we're different Lutherans, right? Because we, we, uh, we, we, can't, we can't see eye to eye on, on the things that really matter. Now, a heretic does something very similar but opposite. A heretic takes something from a closed-handed issue and puts it into the open hand. A heretic takes something that, that is truly uh, biblical, it's like the tenets of the faith, and then decides that, no, you know what, I'm just going to, you just put that in the open hand. And what does that look like? It looks like, well, yeah, I know that you believe that, you know, that the Bible is the Word of God, but I just, I just think that there, it's, it's good devotional thoughts, and there's many other spiritual holy books, especially ones that I agree with, that, that I, I follow, and I think they're all kind of equal, and we can all gain. Can't we all just get along and gather and, and believe that all of them are spiritual you say things like, you know, okay, I, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God, but I, I just believe that there are many ways to God. And in fact, I think you're being very na- narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to God. And, and so I, I don't think we can really get along here. Uh, we take things like, well, I, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you say, well, I don't believe that he is actually the Son of God. I think he's a super awesome teacher with really good flowy hair, and, and he had a lot of good things to say, but, but I also like Mahatma Gandhi, and, and I like Buddha, and I think that they're all kind of on equal playing fields, and why do we have to start ranking people? Sounds pretty narrow-minded, right? And we get to this place where we start to take things that are close-handed issues and, and make them open-handed issues. That's how you become a heretic. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'm using the big the big ways that it becomes that way, but it can happen in very small ways and secret and seductive ways as well. The, the third point is this, that false teachers will be very popular, very popular. Verse 2, uh, Peter says, many will follow their depraved conduct. Many will follow. Listen, if you want a crowd, you want to draw a crowd, tell people what they want to hear. Right. You will draw a crowd, no problem. You tell them what they want to hear and they will follow you anywhere. And that, that's, just, that's, just, that's just a reality. And if the crowd is big enough, then you get to this, this thought, they must be telling the truth. Have you seen the crowd? It's got to be true. It's just got to be. That. I mean, there are ever, all these people. There's thousands of people. They must be telling the truth if the crowd's big enough. I was reading in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is kind of the quintessential, like, uh, I don't know, false teaching type of uh, scripture that many pastors read. And I'll read it to you again. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, listen to it carefully, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, 
I was reading this this week. I've never seen this before. The Lord just kind of was like downloaded something on me. I was literally struck by it. I was like, hold on a second. That doesn't even make sense. Like it's backwards because that's not how we draw crowds. Usually the way crowds are drawn is that a teacher, a charismatic teacher, will gather around them people to follow them. That's how Jesus grew his his ministry, right? He gets up and he's like, hey guys, and he preaches the gospel and he does signs and wonders and people are like, wow, let's follow him. And the crowds gathered and the crowds followed him, right? But that's not what 2 Timothy says. If you actually look at it and read it, it actually says the time will come, catch this, when people will gather teachers around them to follow them. Well, that's something different. I mean, that's, that's almost like, that's completely opposite of the way that normal things happen. And, and, I, and I would even say that, like, isn't it interesting that we live in such a day where we have the ability to gather around us teachers that tell us what we want to hear? What does that look like? Well, it looks like curating our newsfeed and uh, picking and choosing our podcasts and listening to sermons that, that we want to hear and we unsubscribe or subscribe or we like or unlike or heart or double heart things that we want to hear. And we go to churches that tell us what we want to hear, but then they start preaching on Second Peter chapter 2 and we're like, I'm out of here. I don't even want to hear this. So we go to another place that will tell us what our itching ears want to hear. And so what do we do? We have come to a day where people, followers, will gather teachers around them to follow them. It's complete. I'm just like, what in the world? I'll tell you, we live in such a day where false teaching is popular because it doesn't offend us. As soon as we get offended, we just leave. We unsubscribe. We don't like, we don't listen, we don't hear, we don't see. We move, we leave, we go to someplace different. We take the earbuds out and we move on. And we gather around us teachers that will tell us what our itching ears want to hear. Verse 2. He says, many will follow their depraved conduct. Peter says that false teachers will lead you into de- depraved conduct, which is like two really big words that we don't say very often, um, which essentially mean morally corrupt and ruinous. That these false teachers will lead you into things that are morally corrupt and ruinous. And then Peter spends much of chapter 2, and you can read this on your own time, talking about and explaining and outlining all the depraved conduct that you should be aware about. It takes Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament stories to outline and describe this depraved conduct. And I wish that when he was talking about, you know, how they'll lead you into depraved conduct, I wish that he would use um, heresies like, well, you know, you shouldn't wear a hat in church and you shouldn't get a tattoo and you shouldn't smoke cigars. But that's not what he talks about. I wish he would, because I don't like cigars. And I don't have a tattoo. I wish he'd talk about that stuff. But he doesn't. Instead, he gets all up in your business. And if you actually really start reading it, it's very offensive. He, he essentially, if you can kind of narrow down all of these Old Testament stories and all these different things that are depraved conduct, he narrows them down to three things. Greed, lust, and pride. I thought it was going to be cigars and hats in church and getting tattoos, but it's not. But it's not. He talks about greed, lust, and pride. Three things that fuel false teachers and also fuel us to follow them. Greed, 
lust and pride. Let me outline them for you really quickly. Greed, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. This is where it's talked about. It says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. And then in verse 14, later on down there, he says, they seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. And the question that's rolling around in me is like, why do we think that the prosperity gospel has such a following? Well, it's very obvious because greed begets greed. And so we want more because we want to get more. And so we want to serve a God that will give me more of what I want. And so what ends up happening is that we, that we allow money to become our idol because a false teaching that is believed becomes an idol that we defend. I'll keep moving. Okay, number two, lust. This gets even better. Lust. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, it says, With eyes full of adultery... They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. And then in verse 10, he says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh. Lust. And the question I was, I was just processing was like, why, why, why do we think that we have a sexually promiscuous church in America? Why? Well, it's pretty obvious because when you start to follow the corrupt desire of your flesh rather than following the way of truth, then you tell yourself, you convince yourself that your consensual actions outside of the covenant of marriage isn't hurting anybody. We both agreed and it's absolutely fine in the sight of a holy God. Why? Because I can make up my own thing. And we begin to make sex our idol. And a false belief hmm, becomes a false idol that we defend. Okay. Number three, pride. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says, bold and arrogant, which is pride. Bold and arrogant. They're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. In verse 12, he says, but these people blaspheme in matters they don't understand. Talk about prideful. He says, they are like unreasoning animals creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. Let me just tell you, a false teacher will, will, will tell people that they don't need to repent because prideful people don't want to repent. Don't worry. You're just a mistaker. You're not really a sinner. Like, you don't need to actually walk in repentance, but the, the problem is that the only way that we break our pride is to walk in repentance. There's a theologian named um, J.I. Packer, and he wrote this. He says, heretics are those who preach tolerance of sin. Christians are those who preach repentance of sin. Heretics are those who preach tolerance of sin. Christians are those who preach repentance of sin. And it sounds good. And we automatically think of everyone else. I would just say this, make sure you preach that to yourself before you ever preach that to somebody else. And it's, um, I think it's this reality that if God hasn't offended you in a while, then chances are you're probably offending him. Uh, uh, here's my, my, my experience. God offends me daily. He offends my flesh all the time. I wish he wouldn't. I wish he would agree with me. I think that if we talk this thing out, he probably would. But uh, he doesn't want to hear much of what I have to say, and he continually offends me. And if you haven't been offended by God lately, chances are you're offending him. 
Because, because God is continually wanting to make you, mold you, change you, remove things, cause you to move forward in things, cause you to, to he's constantly wanting to work with us, in us, through us. And if we're not hearing that, chances are we're walking like na, 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 and we don't want to hear it. And in essence, offending him. And what I find is that, that either I'm offending him or he's uh, offending me. Peter's letter is like sobering. And uh, I think that it's a reminder to us and kind of sum this up is this, that we don't serve a God who is made in our image to look more like us. We actually serve a creator God who created us in his image and we're submit to him so that we look more like him. And when we get those two things mixed up is when we start to walk in heresy, false belief, and believing things that aren't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me? If you think that, that you're, if you're offended at what I had to say today, just read all of chapter two for yourself because um, you'll get more offended. Um, but hopefully not at me. You can get offended at Peter. One of, one of, um, I think he finishes it really well, like um, really well, meaning like, like a punch in the gut. And so Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we're going to read down to the end of uh, chapter 2. He, he continues, and he's still talking about false teachers. I mean, he's still talking about false prophets. He's still talking about liars and people that are seductive and corruptive and all of these things. And he says, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds horrific. He says, for they, they, they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They, they, they promise for them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And then he ends with a very, like an exclamation point of, uh, in verse 22, these two proverbs that give us a visual of what he believes false teaching looks like. He says this, of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow, a pig that is washed, returns to her wallowing in the mud. So how many of you have a dog? Any, anybody in here have a dog? Okay. So um, you ever have a dog that got sick? You know they're going to get sick because they start eating grass, you know, when there's, your dog's eating grass, and you're like, oh, Jesus, no, please, Lord, no. And usually it happens in the middle of the night, you hear the retching, and they always seem to find carpeted areas to do it on, and so you're like, oh, gosh, no, and you hear that, and then it finally comes up, and it's a heave, and they feel very relieved, and then if they could talk, you would hear this, hmm. There's still some good kibble in there. And then they go after it again. The dog returning to his mom and eating the same kibble that just came out of them. And isn't it interesting that we do some things that, that make us sick rather than stay away and go back to them? Right? We, 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 we end up going back to the things that, that make us sick. And then, he, and then he goes on. He says, okay, so a dog returns to his mom. And then he says, a sow or a pig that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. 
And it's this visual of giving a pig a bath. It's kind of weird. If you have, have a pig at your house and you consider them a pet, we can talk later and I'll pray for you because that's weird. Because pigs are disgusting and they have weird hair that grows out in weird places and they're, they're smelly and they're they make weird, disgusting noises, and they have the teeth, and the, oh, it's just—it's disgusting. But but it's it's this, it's the idea of like washing up a pig and giving him a bath, and you're like, doesn't that pig smell so good? It smells so great, and so cute, and Petunia, look at her, she's so great, isn't she? And then all of a sudden, you open up the door, and what does Petunia do? The first chance she gets, she runs right out that front door and runs right into the same pig squalor that she came out of. So she can roll around in her own filth again. She just loves it because a pig in slop, right? It, it, he gives us these two ideas, and, and, and I think that it's this visual that I think many times we run back to the very thing that we were just freed from. We, we tend to see this in other people's lives a whole lot more than we see it in ourselves. We see this when we, when we say to someone that we love, why do you just keep going back to the same guy? I mean, yeah, he's a different name, but it's the same guy. Like, I know his name was Jake, but now it's Ron. I mean, it's, it's the same dude. Like, he was a, it's bad news. Why do you keep going back there? Or, I thought you got out of that, that lifestyle. Why do you keep going back into it? I thought you stopped those drugs, but then you just keep running back to it. I don't understand why you just keep going back to this thing. And maybe some of us have somebody in our life that we're trying to, you know, keep them clean and sober, but every time that you open up the door, they just run out there to get back into the mud that they came out of. And it's this reality, and this is what Peter's explaining to us. He's like, look, the pig looked better and the dog felt better, but neither one of them changed. And this is the lie. The lie that we get this idea that if you just puke up all of your bad stuff or try to look cleaned up on a Sunday, then you will find the long-lasting change that you need. And Jesus is like, look, you can wash a pig up. And you can try to get them all nice and Petunia can smell great, but she's just going to run back into it. And you can try to take that dog and, and, and he's going to throw up. And guess what? If you, don't, if you don't clean that up, he's going to go right back to it and he's going to want to eat that again. And it's this reality that God is like, I'm not actually asking you to try to change your behavior. I'm actually wanting to change your nature, which will change your desires. I need you to get a hold of, of me on the inside of you. I need you to know that you know that you know the gospel of truth. And I want that to, to get, begin to work on the inside of you so that it can work its way out of you. Not to change yourself and wash yourself up on the outside or, or to puke up enough things or to, or to clean yourself up enough so that nobody notices. I'm actually wanting to just get on the inside of you and I will clean you from the inside out. This is the same thing that Jesus couldn't stand about the Pharisees. He says this in Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also become clean. So that God never called you to puke up and clean up on a Sunday so that you look good on the outside, only to run back on a Monday. He actually wants to change your nature, which will change your desires. He says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. He cleans the inside, which begins to clean the outside. He, he changes our identities, which begin to change our desires. So you're not a washed pig or a relieved dog, you're changed. And our desires begin to change. 
And this is where it gets a little tough for us, and I want to leave you with this, is that like, it's not just about learning your identity and your destiny in Christ. It's about living out that identity and living out that destiny in Christ. And that's where sometimes, um, well, let's just face it, I don't like telling myself no, and I can't stand it when other people tell me no. But many times in, the, in, our, in our discipleship, um, we're, we're called to call and to tell ourselves no so that our no is yes to God. And there's, there's this walking it out, there's this responsibility that the Bible calls repentance, that we would walk in a different way. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, it's saying, God, I, I, I've tried to go my way, and I know that it leads to nowhere, and I'm choosing to go your way, and I want to walk in it. And that is a decision, and it's also a process of walking it out day by day by day. And it's not, it's not by taking enough showers to keep, your, keep that little pig clean, and it's not enough so you can puke up enough so that you just feel better because I just got it out of me. It's this idea that it's all about Jesus. Walking it out is all about Jesus. Walking it out is all about depending on Jesus. Walking it out is all from Jesus. The power to, 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 to be able to walk it out all comes from Jesus. It always has been, always will be, and always is about Jesus. Always. And that's our freedom in Christ. Sometimes it's saying no. And I would just, I want to leave you with this question. We're going to worship. It's this. This is, a, the Lord gave me this question and I, I, I just, I don't like it. Is, is your dislike of the word no causing you to convince yourself that your disobedience is acceptable to God. Is your dislike of the word no causing you to convince yourself that your disobedience is acceptable to God? Lord Jesus, I pray that we would walk in your light, that we would walk in the way of truth. Jesus, I pray that we would know that we know that we know that we know that we know that you are more than enough, that you are our Savior and our Lord. And God, it's not just for the sweet by and by that one day when we cross over into glory that we get to go to heaven, but that, that it, it's, 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 it's victory today as we walk and shed off pride and shed off lust and shed off greed, that we choose to, to say, God, you have the final word in my life. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I know that I've got some ideas that I think are better than yours, but nothing compared to you is better. And so Jesus, we lift you up because it's all about you. And we say, it is you alone, it is Christ alone in my life that will dictate my life. So Jesus, we lift you up. We make you high. God, I pray that we would have more of you and less of me in every area of our life, God. And, and I pray you speak to your people today. I pray that, that it this wouldn't just be a time of guilt or shame. That's certainly not what you want. Guilt is a great place to start, but it's a horrible place to live. And so God, I pray that as, as your people are sensing your calling, I pray that you would lead them into all righteousness and that you'd make a way where there seems to be no way. Jesus, have your way in us as we worship you. Let's lift him up, church.